Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, it's the last full day of campaigning. We'll get you up to date on what the leaders announced on E-Day Minus One. Democracy Watch tells us who's been funding these campaigns anyway. Also, can prisoners vote? Can landed immigrants vote? How old do you have to be to vote? If you own two properties in two different ridings, can you vote twice? These and other burning electoral questions coming right up. It's Wednesday, June the 1st, 2022, day 29 of the campaign. So let's get to it. Well, JMM, the last full day of campaigning for the leaders. Andrea Horvath of the NDP really hit the ground hard, not just going after Doug Ford, but also Stephen Del Duca and the Liberals. Six events, count them, six events today in Brampton, Cambridge, Brantford, Freelton, which is in the Flamborough-Glanbrook riding where the NDP came second last time, back to Brampton again late afternoon and finishing up with a stop in the evening in Etobicoke Lakeshore. We watched as the Liberals froze hospital budgets. They gave us hallway medicine. They fired 1,600 nurses. We cannot, we cannot trust the party that broke our health care system uh, to, to now fix it. And of course, Doug Ford's cuts are just going to hurt more. Horvath took questions for almost an hour in Brampton this morning. She smiled. She sounded hopeful. She certainly was the picture of a happy warrior on the hustings. Her last-minute pitch has been to do the math. She accurately points out that 6 in 10 people don't want Ford back as Premier. But, of course, that 6 in 10 are very divided about who they want taking Ford's place. Horvath has asked that 6 in 10 to coalesce behind the NDP. At the moment, that's not happening, but, of course, there's still a day to go. You can contrast uh, Andrew Horvath's day with Stephen Del Duca's day. Normally, uh, Mr. Del Duca has been doing uh, multiple events every day. It's something we've talked about before on this podcast. He's kept a very busy schedule. Uh, but today, just two events on his publicly posted uh, itinerary. Uh, one in Humber River Black Creek in northwestern Toronto, where the Liberals came third last time. But it is usually a, a Liberal NDP fight. Uh, and he did a second event in Toronto St. Paul's, which has always been uh, one of the safest Liberal seats in Ontario. But went to the New Democrats' Jill Andrew last time. Uh, Dr. Nathan Stahl is running there this time for the Liberals, uh, so that is why Del Duca visited there. From the conversations that we are having in communities, from Peterborough to Ottawa to Pickering to Oakville to Mississauga to right here in Humber River Black Creek, it is abundantly clear the only way to stop the Ford Conservatives is to vote Liberal in this election. Now, let me make a point about the lectern, and not the podium, just to be clear, the lectern that Stephen Del Duca speaks in front of. Usually, the message of the day is written on the front of the podium, you know, save health care, ban guns, hire 10,000 teachers, that kind of thing. Well, the last couple of days, the liberal message has become pretty stark. Stop Ford, vote liberal. That's what it says. Sums up the message they've been pitching the last few days. In the meantime, Doug Ford door-knocked in Brampton Centre and Mississauga East Cooksville today. And as the PC leader schedule said, this is closed to media. Ford has a rally in Etobicoke tonight, and that's it for the day. 
Uh, obviously, the same strategy that uh, the PC party has been pursuing since the campaign began, essentially, you know, head down, no mistakes, you've got a lead that has rarely been less than double digits, don't do anything to jeopardize that. I do want to say a word about the event that Ford did in Ottawa on Monday. Uh, it is the only trip to Ottawa he's made during the campaign. Uh, you know, second biggest city in the province, anchor of eastern Ontario. Didn't go there during or immediately after the storm that uh, killed 10 people in his province and, and, you know, did enormous amounts of property damage. Uh, and also hasn't done a media avail since. Uh, so, uh, that might be actually our last Ford press conference of the election campaign. Uh, we'll see what happens after the, uh, the the votes are counted tomorrow night. No, I think you're right. Uh, obviously, there's not going to be a, an availability um, on the hustings today. He's made it clear they don't want media around. Uh, won't be uh, tonight at the rally. And then uh, tomorrow night, I'm quite sure after he comes out and gives whatever speech he gives, that he's not going to be doing interviews at that point either. So it may be it may be quite a while, actually. It could be several days before we, we hear from the the PC party leader again. All right, let's get back on the hustings here and tell you what the Green Party leader Mike Schreiner did today because he also had a day of multiple events, campaign stops in Brantford, St. Thomas, London, and Kitchener in southwestern Ontario. Uh, One of the areas he made a stop in was the riding of London North Centre with local candidate Carol Dick. Now, you know, John Michael, you and I have talked about this lots of times. Sometimes we cannot figure out why leaders go to the destinations that they go to. Uh, because it it seems that they have very little chance in some of the ridings that they've stopped in, and that would be the case for this one. Um, You know, no one's picking the Greens to win London North Centre. Right now, the polls are all showing a tight three-way race between the Liberals, New Democrats, and Progressive Conservatives, and all of the leaders of those parties have made stops in that area in London during the course of the campaign. So I'm not quite sure why Mike Schreiner's going there, but fill your boots, as they say. Well, you know, this is why some people uh, find journalists so irritating. We were just giving the Greens a little bit of trouble yesterday for focusing so much on Perry Sound, Muskoka. And now that Shriner is traveling through the rest of the province, we're giving him trouble for that, too. Um, you know, this riding was previously held by uh, New Democrat uh, Terrence Kernahan, uh, who was elected with 47 percent of the vote in 2018. We, we carefully do not refer to people who held seats in the prior legislature as incumbents at TVO. Here, 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 here. Um, the liberal candidate this time around is Kate Graham. Uh, she is uh, very much a rising star in the Liberal Party. She ran for the leadership of the party against Stephen Del Duca, uh, has been a, a really key part of his team ever since he won the leadership. Uh, very uh, vocal, uh, very uh, present member of the party. Uh, you know, she played a major role in developing the party's platform. Uh, the Liberals obviously would very much like for her to have a seat, but you know, the the recent Liberal history in southwestern Ontario is, is kind of grim, right? They lost uh, all of their seats in Windsor and all but one of their seats in London uh, in the 2014 election and then got totally wiped out in 2018. So, uh, you know, they very much want Graham to win her seat. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a slog. And again, we'll see how it turns out uh, tomorrow night. The Progressive Conservatives are represented by Jerry Pribill, who is a, a newcomer to politics. He's a restaurant owner in London. When Doug Ford visited the riding back in the middle of May, he pledged to move the WSIB office to the area, which would bring about 3,000 jobs with it. 
However, the WSIB still has three years on its Toronto lease, so there are questions about exactly how quickly that would happen. Uh, Certainly, I guess it's possible by the end of the next mandate, if the progressive conservatives do, in fact, uh, form a majority in the legislature. Uh, But... uh, Definitely one of those one of those promises we'll be keeping an eye on. <laughs> Indeed. And, and London North Centre has been a riding that people have watched for a long time because Deb Matthews, the former deputy premier of Ontario in the Kathleen Wynne government, uh, was elected to that seat. And she has, even though she's been out of public life for four years now, she has knocked on a lot of doors for Kate Graham in that riding and, in fact, has gone out to other ridings across the province uh, trying to help liberals get elected um, there's no reason she has to do that. She is, you know, retired from politics for four years, but she still wants to get out there and fight the good fight. Now, let's talk about a group called Democracy Watch. That's an organization run by a guy named Duff Conacher that keeps an eye on political party funding. And they've released an analysis of each party's election funding. And JMM, why don't you take us through some of the numbers? Back in the spring of 2021, the provincial government doubled the political donation limit to $3,300. Democracy Watch crunched the numbers from Elections Ontario's donation database. Of course, these large donations are all publicly disclosed. Those numbers show that a small number of wealthy donors are becoming a a bigger piece of the donations pie, so to speak. Uh, They looked at donations of $1,000 or more. For the Progressive Conservative Party, 63% of their donations came from 25% of their donors. For the Liberals, half of their donations came from 8% of their donors. So uh, relatively fewer numbers of uh, big ticket uh, donations coming in there, uh, though they make up still a very substantial chunk. Uh, The Greens received 51% of their donations from 21.4% of their donors, and the NDP received 30% of their donations from just 2.7% of their donors. This is such a fraught issue, and I must say, even in my own head, I, I go back and forth on what the right thing to do here is. On the one hand... Uh, there is certainly a defensible argument that says if people want to give money to a political party, that is a form of, as the United States Supreme Court has said, free speech, and you should not have those free speech rights taken away from you. On the other hand, uh, clearly, uh, too much money in politics uh, from too many, let's just tell it like it is, from too many rich people can certainly distort the outcomes. And uh, I I don't think it'll shock anybody to hear me say that... um, when when people make a donation to a political party, they expect something in return for that donation. And if they donate a lot of money to a political party, they expect a lot in return uh, from uh, that political party. Uh, is there a happy medium if you if you completely made public financing of election campaigns uh, the law of the land uh, and took away the ability of anybody to donate anything? Would that be overkill, or do we need? You know, do we need uh, limits and you can decide where to draw the line? Do we need limits that are that are more sensible than whatever is in place right now? If people in their wisdom think the current limits are not sensible and too high? I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but I do love the fact that they are being asked by Democracy Watch. And uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think one of the things that I come back to, aside from increasing the donation limits, they made it uh, harder for independent, uh, you know, third party organizations to uh, spend money in uh, ways that influence election campaigns. And, you know, I I don't want to defend absolutely every part of how that all played out, because, of course, it also involved using the notwithstanding clause. Um, So that's obviously very controversial. But I do think one interesting point to this is that it, it 
rebalanced politics in Ontario a bit back towards political parties and away from third party groups. Uh, And that affects everybody from teachers unions on the one hand to groups like Ontario Proud, uh, which was somewhat influential in the uh, 2018 election. Um, You know, I I think and I I go back and forth on this, but I, I, I think I feel better with that spending happening by political parties who are ultimately the ones who are being judged uh, on election day than by third parties whose conduct we don't really uh, have a a way of disciplining uh, the way we can with political parties. Gotcha. Well, this being the day before E-Day, we thought we'd bring some of the burning questions about voting to you because this is stuff you don't necessarily think about every day, but it's kind of important to know in advance of tomorrow. For example, John Michael. Can prisoners vote? (laughs) Yes, they can. In uh, 2002, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down a uh, federal law that uh, prohibited uh, prisoners from voting and uh, said that those kinds of prohibitions uh, were unconstitutional. So uh, both in provincial and federal elections, prisoners can vote. Uh, Now, one for you. Can landed immigrants vote? I'm afraid they cannot. They may pay taxes, but only Canadian citizens can vote in this provincial election. So there. Now here's one back at you. How old do you have to be to vote? Uh, There is no maximum age, but there is a minimum age. Uh, You have to be 18 to vote. Uh, Kathleen Wynne, when she was premier, occasionally uh, spoke positively about potentially lowering uh, the voting age, but nothing ever came of that, and the progressive conservatives have not uh, moved on that in any way. You know, it's worth talking about, though, because, you know, you've got to be 16 to drive. uh, You've got to be 18 to vote. You've got to be 19 uh, to legally purchase alcohol in Ontario. And you've got to be 61 to refer to Bill Davis or the city of Hamilton in every podcast. Now, Steve, I'm quite certain you were doing that before you were 61. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a fair point, too. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Now, uh, what about this one? If you own two properties in two different ridings, can you vote twice? Ah, now you might think logically that you can, but I'm sorry to say the voting instructions from Cook County in Chicago, namely, vote early, vote often, are not appropriate in the province of Ontario. No, the answer is no. You can only vote once. So if you've got a house in one riding and, let's say, a cottage in another, you cannot legally be enumerated in both places and vote in both places. Pick one, people. Okay, JMM, coming back at you now. If you didn't get enumerated, can you just show up at the polling station and expect to vote? Uh, The answer is yes. Uh, This is not the case in other jurisdictions. I will simply... uh nod to the south of me. Uh, But if you show up at a polling place in Ontario uh, with a piece of ID that has both your name and address on it, uh, they should be able to enumerate you. The address is important because obviously you have to be able to prove that you live in the riding in which you are attempting to vote. Right. So that's why a birth certificate alone won't do it. It does show your name, but it doesn't show your address. So what kind of ID would the local polling officer accept? Uh, There really are a a lot of choices here. Uh, Elections Ontario actually recognizes 41 different kinds of ID. Uh, Everything from the obvious, such as uh, driver's licenses, to more obscure things, such as a bank statement or a blood donor card, to a firearms license, to a pay stub, uh, a T4 tax slip, uh, even a utility bill or a vehicle ownership statement. Uh, Ontario makes it reasonably easy to vote, and uh, they they want people to, to come out to 
the polls. And uh, here on this podcast, the only electoral outcome we are allowed to cheer for is high turnout. So uh, please, if you're able, uh, if you haven't voted already, uh, tomorrow is your chance. And I agree with you on that one. 57% of the eligible voters voted four years ago. We'd certainly like to do better than that. I remember, gosh, I guess when I was a kid, probably 75 to 80% turnout was the norm. And now we're at 57%. So yeah, come on, Ontario, let's do better than that. Now, before we go, we wanted to share some feedback we recently received from Anna and Rob Kennedy, who wrote, please pass on to Steve Pakin and JMM how much we are enjoying listening to their daily podcasts. They are thorough, insightful, and entertaining in their analysis of the election. We have already voted, but still like to hear their commentary. We learn so much. Thank you for all your hard work and the breadth of knowledge you share with us. See you on the hustings. Hey, wasn't that nice? And I don't think either one of us are related to them, so even better. Uh, No, thank you, Anna and Rob. Uh, If you like the podcast, you are going to love what we've got planned for tomorrow night. Uh, The Agenda with Steve Pakin is on at 8 o'clock doing election night uh, coverage to review the campaign as it unfolded. And then at 9 p.m. when polls close, they will begin live election coverage. Steve will be hosting. I will be there providing uh, commentary through the night. And we will stay on the air until the story is done. Uh, Then, of course, uh, join us Friday on the podcast for our wrap-up of the election results. Uh, That will be our last daily episode uh, until we go uh, weekly uh, again for June. And as we remind everybody, only till the end of June, and then we'll stop bothering you for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) That is the On Poly podcast for day 29. A reminder, we're here every weekday through this 43rd general election campaign, right through to election day, which blessedly is tomorrow, June the 2nd. JMM, one more day. We'll see you on the hustings. One day more, Steve. Sounds like that song from Les Mis. One, One more day time. More. One another day, more another day. destiny. <laughs>